Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Hi guys, I'm Shannon. Uh, one of the things that struck me about Damascus Road, the first time that I spied on you guys, um, we snuck into a service before anybody knew anything, and I thought, man, these people are serious about greeting each other. Um, <laughs> In most churches, it's like, hi, good morning, this is uncomfortable, let's sit down and continue. Uh, Damascus Road is like, no, we're going to talk. We're, I'm going to meet some people, and we're going uh, to do this together. I love that about this place. If you're new here, um, we just want to say welcome. I met a couple of new faces already this morning, and we're so glad that you can join us. We talk about being one church in two locations, and today we're one church in one location. Um, and it's good, it's just good to be together. So if you're, if you're new, if you're a guest, if you're checking us out, um, please come up and introduce yourself to us. We want to know you. Uh, we would love for this to be a church that you could feel like um, you could start to call home, whether it's here on the west side or east or central or whatever we're calling the other campus um, as we move to South Park Street and get that ready. Um, but we're, we're really glad you're here. We have something cool today that... Um, this, by the way, is my first Sunday full-time... Um, at Damascus Road as lead pastor. Um, so I'm, I'm brand new. If you're new here, um, welcome. Let's start this together, okay? Um, one of the things that uh, happens here at DR is what I'm told is um, there's a whole bunch of people who, um, whose lives have been changed through our Celebrate Recovery group. We're not ours, but through the, the recovery ministry that's going on. And we want to celebrate anniversaries. We want to celebrate sobriety. We want to celebrate addictions being broken and freedom. And Karen has a big anniversary. It was yesterday, right? So Karen's going to come up. Um, we get to celebrate. So this is... This is a fun part of what I get to do and what I get to come into now. I have, I have no place to be up here uh, celebrating. All of this is about 13 years ago. Yeah. Um, 13 years ago, you broke away from addictions. You broke away uh, from all the things that hindered you and held you down. And for 13 years, you've been living in freedom, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Do you want to say anything about that? Just by the grace of God, I am here today to tell you all that he has blessed me with 13 years of being free, as Shannon just said, from addiction. So it's such a blessing. It's so wonderful. Hard to believe, but um, it can be done. And, and we have a wonderful ministry at Damascus Road Church called Celebrate Recovery. And it's not just about addiction. It's freedom from anxiety, depression, gambling, just all those things that hinder us. We're all broken people, and, and you're all welcome to come. We meet on Tuesday nights, so... Um, Chris is our recovery deacon, and he'll be more than happy to talk with you, talk with you about CR, um, myself, it's on our website, it's, it's just a wonderful program to find God's grace and redemption through his love, and it's, it's just a beautiful thing, so. One of the things that I have loved uh, learning about DR is that uh, recovery is not something to be hidden or tucked away. That what the thing that you said that we're all broken people, uh, we're really all in need of healing and recovery uh, in one way or another. And this group is an awesome group. There's so much life flowing, and you can hear them when they cheer and celebrate. Um, so what I would like to do, I have a coin um, 
that I get to give to you as a uh, as a marker of 13 years. I'd like to give it to you. I'd like to pray for you. Um, and then after we're done praying, can we like stand up and cheer and celebrate? And if you want to jump around or dance or give high fives or like however however we celebrate here, um, let's let's take a few moments just to do that, okay? So let me give you that and let me pray. Father, we thank you for Karen. Um, we thank you for the way that you have saved her um, in her soul, in her spirit, and in her life, in the day-to-day living, the way that you have set her free from addictions, the way that you have called her to leaving, uh, leading a whole life. Uh, thank you for filling her, for empowering her, and thank you for the courage and the honesty that has taken uh, and the discipline these 13 years. And we pray uh, for 13 more. We pray for uh, today and tomorrow and the days to come that she would uh, continue to be faithful, continue to be courageous, that you would empower her um, just like you have these last 13 years. Thank you for her, for her example, and for the life that you have put in her. We all pray in Jesus' name and we say, Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and cheer. So I'm going to start with a question, and it, uh, you see it in Karen, um, and um, the question is this, have you ever found yourself, have you ever found yourself in a difficult, maybe a seemingly impossible circumstance, and have you ever asked the question, what now? What am I going to do now? Or what are we going to do now? Um, I have a story to tell, and I promise you, like, so the first couple times I told you a ropes course story, I'm going to tell you another ropes course story. And then my promise is I'm going to try not to tell another ropes course story for a while, um, but there's so much good that comes out of it. So a number of years ago, uh, I, was, I was 24, um, pretty fresh into youth ministry, and my wife and I were in Indiana, um, a small church just kind of southwest of Fort Wayne in Huntington, Indiana, and we took our middle school youth group on a day-long excursion, and we did low ropes and high ropes. And, you know, if you, if you know low ropes, you know that a big deal of the day is teamwork and encouragement, and you want to uh, get close enough to each other to be vulnerable so that you can build trust. So we did this one exercise where you worked with a partner, and you started at a tree, and you walked out across the cables, and then when you got far enough, you would fall. The, the point is to fall and fall onto the backs of spotters who were there who were waiting to catch you. Um, there's another one that's my favorite is called the Canyon Crossing, where you load up everybody on um, kind of a platform on one side, and then there's a rope dangling in the middle, and you have to swing across the rope and get yourself on an uncomfortably small uh, box on the other side. And it's just kind of like, how can we catch each other? How can we be there for each other? Um, the whole day is built on... You can do it. I believe in you. I'm here for you. Let's catch each other. And it's about building trust in each other, recognizing I, I can open myself to trusting others, and I need to be there uh, faithful and reliable when others are trying to trust me. So the whole morning culminated in this, um, the, what they call the trust fall, which is really a, a cool exercise, but very uh, kind of scary for the person doing it. So 
what happens is one person will stand up on this four-foot-tall platform, turn their backs on the team, and then fall into their loving arms. And it's, it's always kind of nervy. And I thought, man, I got a bunch of middle school kids, and I want them to see that this works. I want them to see that uh, you can trust, but you're, you're not going to fall. In, the, in all the times that I've seen this happen, nobody falls. So I thought, you know, I'm a, I'm a leader. Leaders lead. I'm going to get up. I'm going to show them, look, if you can catch all of this, you can catch your little middle school bodies. So like a great leader that I was, got up on the platform, four feet in the air, and I turned my backs on them, and I went through the commands. You know, like, uh, you, you hold tight, and you stiffen your back, and you're like, spotter's ready. Spotter's ready. Which is middle school, right? That's how they all sound. Uh, falling? Fall on! And I closed my eyes, and I took a deep breath, and I fell backwards to the ground. Hard. Slammed my back on the ground, and I thought, what? No, that doesn't happen. Like, our whole day is ruined. What What are we going to do now? Like, nobody's getting up there. They're like, yeah, let's go home. Okay? And I was so shocked. I was so... That never crossed my mind that that could happen. They all kind of went, ah! And I fell. And I, I thought about it, and I thought, I got, I got nothing to do. And you, if you start to get to know me, you recognize what happened next. I cried. <laughs> I, cried. I thought... I don't know where to go from here. What do we do now? You guys are all a bunch of losers. We are not a good team. We have nothing going on that's good for us. And I couldn't, I couldn't get any words out. I was just dumbstruck. I cried in front of them and thought, what are we going to do? So have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like you were in a place where somehow you had managed to fall through the cracks? Somehow you had managed to be forgotten or dropped or the person or the people that you were relying on just failed you miserably. Have you ever felt like you were the one failing? Like, man, I don't know what to do now. I'm completely lost. You ever felt like what was in front of you was so impossible that you had no idea how you were going to get through it? You had no idea what a good ending to that story could possibly look like. So I was uh, listening to the uh, Damascus Road podcasts through our uh, Joshua series, and Michael talked about Joshua and Jericho, and he made a reference to Jehoshaphat. Um, And when he did that, I lit up, because I had been thinking about this day and thinking about um, diving into Jehoshaphat's story. And so he made mention of it. Today I'm excited because we're going to dive in. There's this really cool chapter um, in 2 Chronicles 20 in the Old Testament that talks about a guy and a group of people who came up against insurmountable odds, impossible circumstances, and they asked, I think, that question, what are we going to do now? So what I would like to do is uh, read uh, the first part of 2 Chronicles 20 and then jump into Jehoshaphat's story. Are you guys okay with that? Okay, 2 Chronicles 20 starts this way. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. 
Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the help, uh, seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, now listen to this. this um, scholars talk about this being one of the premier prayers of the Old Testament, that this prayer of Jehoshaphat is just poetic and uh, profound. It says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to stand, withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Zir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. I believe there are four things, at least, that we can learn from Jehoshaphat uh, in the way that he responded to this impossible, impossible circumstance ahead of him. The first one, I think, is Jehoshaphat's first step in the face of impossible odds was to seek the Lord and to call the other people around him to do the same. And I read this, and as I was studying this for the first time, 
I had this kind of, wait, what? Um, in the face of all of the, this horde that's coming against them, these three armies that are combining to do battle against them, where they should be wiped out, and they're already closer than comfort. They're, they're knocking on the door. And Jehoshaphat's first step is to say, we got to go to God. It, common sense would be something different, I think. Common sense would be like, let's get ready. Like, we might not have much of a chance, but if we pull together, if we get some kind of battle strategy, if we muster up, if we encourage each other, if we rally each other, then maybe we can go out and maybe we have a chance. And he doesn't do that. He says, we have no chance. We have nothing but God on our side. And so his first step is to seek God. And I think he did it. I think he did it because he knew where his strength came from. And he knew where his strength wasn't. He knew that they really didn't have any strength. They really didn't have any power to withstand what was in front of them. But he could look back on history. And he could see God doing amazing things through the people. So he could look back on the Red Sea and Moses and the time that God had split the waters and the people had walked on dry ground. On whose power? Not their own power but because of God's power, right? I think he could have looked back on Joshua and uh, all of the triumphs and all of the victories and whose power was it? It is not Joshua's power. It was not Joshua's great leadership, though God used Joshua and used his leadership. It was God's power the whole way through as they took the land. I think he could uh, look to David, King David, and the victories that David had had. And I think he may have even been able to reflect on some of the psalms that David had already written, where in Psalm 20, uh, verse 7, David writes, Some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. He could look back in history and he could look at Gideon, where God took Gideon's army and he said, Okay, you're a big army and I'm going to take people away from you and I'm going to take people away from you and I'm going to take people away from you until you're just 300 strong and it makes no sense to go up in a battle this puny little army and yet God's victory that day and his strength that day was what gave them the win is what enabled them to keep living I think Jehoshaphat looked back on all of those things and he said it doesn't matter what we plan if we do it without God we lose If we do it without God, even if we win today, we lose. And so his first step, because he knew where his power came from, was to seek God and say, we're going to stop everything. We're just going to call on God. I love to swim. Uh, I'm not a competitive swimmer. I'm not a fast swimmer. I just like splashing around. Okay. Um, As a kid growing up, my parents or my grandparents lived on the east side of Lake Winnebago. And uh, we grew up. We grew up swimming it all the time. My life, my wife does not, she's not going to swim in Winnebago. Do you guys know what that lake looks like? Bunch of green algae. It's so shallow that it's not pretty. But I grew up and turned out just fine, I think. Um, we would spend weekends there. We would spend um, days there in the summer just swimming and flopping around and jumping. And one of the things from a very young age um, that my dad would do, like very, like my dad could hold me like this, young age kind of thing is he would take me and he would carry me out into deep water. And he would hold me close to him and he would whisper, Shannon, do you trust me? 
yeah, Dad, I trust you. And he'd throw me. And I go flying through the air screaming like, what just happened? Splash. And as I came up, like flailing, because I'm not a good swimmer yet, he's right there. And he grabbed me. And he pulled me close. And he say, Shannon, do you trust me? <laughs> yes, Dad. And he'd throw me again, farther and higher. And went, like we got to love it. Because after we got past the freak-out factor and we recognized what? Dad is always going to be there. Dad is always going to be there. Then we had the time of our lives. We'd go flying through the air. We'd do swan dives and flips. and Not really. We'd land <laughs> and get up. Say, I'm in deep water. I can't do this on myself. By myself, I will drown. But Dad's here. Dad, without you, I don't have a chance. Dad, without you, I'd be waiting back by the shore. With you, I can go to deep water, Dad. Without you, I don't have a chance. But if you're here, if you're here, Dad, then I got this. Then we're going to be okay. We have the time of our lives. What changes? When you know your dad is there with you. Take on the world, right? And I think Jehoshaphat has this kind of posture toward God. God, if you're not here... We're done. We're done. But if you're here, we got this. If you're here, I don't care what kind of odds are against us. If you're here, we can conquer anything. They're in trouble for coming against us because of you. We'll be okay. Our relationship with God is like that. I think when we really come to trust God, We're able to enjoy life more. And the weird deal is we're able to enjoy trials more. We're able to enjoy hardship. We're able to enjoy tests and stuff that comes at us because we know, like, God is not going to leave me in this. I can can swim out into deep water, and God will never leave me. He might not make it easy. He might not make everything okay. But he'll be with me, and he will hold me. Somebody told me recently, you take risks in Christ. You are safe in Christ, so you take risks for Christ's kingdom. That he will hold you, and you are able to risk yourself for a great many other things. I think Jehoshaphat felt that way about God. Maybe you're here today, and you are saying, I have no idea how to do this. What is in front of me is impossible. My life or my family is imploding. My world is falling apart. Or This disease is closer than I ever thought I would have to deal with. What is in front of me is impossible. Eastsiders, uh, you might be saying, we don't have a place. We don't have a home. When is this building on Park Street going to get finished? When can we actually... Uh, meet together. Westsiders, you might be saying, when is this building going to be done? So that you <laughs> it's okay. Like, kind of impossible. Wherever you are this morning, when you come to the point of saying, I don't know what to do, do you try to fix it yourself as we're fixers? Or do you say, nah, my posture is I'm going to be to go to God. 
my first response is, I'm, I'm going to start there. God, if you're here, if I seek you and your answers, I think we'll find a way. Jehoshaphat's first step was to seek God. And his second step then was to wait, to wait on the Lord and listen to him. So in verse 13, it says, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before their Lord uh, with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So Jehoshaphat declares a fast, which is a, like a nationwide call to prayer. It says, stop life as usual. Change out of your everyday clothes and put on clothes that resemble uh, your utter dependence on God. They talk about like sackcloth. Uh, put on clothes that reflect your utter dependence on God. Stop life as normal and, and pray and beg God to show up. So we're not told how long they stood there. It says, All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. We don't know how long they waited. It could have been a moment. God could have showed up the very next moment. It could have been a day. It could have been a few days. It could have been a month. Who knows? We do know this happened before Twitter. Right? This happened before Facebook or email. So when Jehoshaphat declares a nationwide fast, it takes a while for that to happen, for people to get the communication. It's not like, fast now. Got it. Good. Everybody start. Okay? This takes a while to unfold. So I think, they, I think this fast happened for quite a while. And they were diligent in seeking God, and then they were diligent in waiting for Him and in listening for His answer. And then this guy gets filled with God, and he stands up with a message. However long they waited, God showed up. So there are times when we are in a position to wait. You ever been in a position to wait? Like it happens every year with high school seniors or people applying to school, applying to colleges. They check out school. They make college visits. They get uh, campus tours. They check it out to say, I think I could be home here for the next four, five, six, seven years. And then um, they decide this is the place for me. And they fill out the application or you know, three or four of them. And then what do they have to do? You wait. You say, I don't know if I'm in yet. I've done everything that I can do. And now I have to wait. This happens if you apply for a job or if you go through an interview process. You say, I brought my A game. There is no way they wouldn't hire me. I feel really good. But at the end of the day, you're still doing what? You're waiting to hear back. So waiting isn't a bad thing, is it? Waiting can be a painful thing. But waiting does something to us that says, I really want the answer. And I'm willing to wait for it. It's not just, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I'm going to run away, not even listening to the answer, right? You have kids? Kids do this all the time. Mom, 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 what? Can I have some milk? And then they're like, they don't even listen, and they're off doing something else. Like, you just asked me a question. Do you want my answer or do you not? Did I ask you something? Right? We ask questions we should be people who wait for the answers. And depending on how much it means to us, I think it ups the amount of time that we're willing to wait. Jehoshaphat knew where his strength was coming from or not. And he says, we seek God, and now we wait. Now we wait. David wrote in Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me. He heard my cry. 
God has a history of listening to people when they cry out to him. He might not answer right away. He might not answer in the way that we want. But if we're going to ask for his help, then we should also be people who uh, wait for his answer. The strength of our resolution to seek God comes in our ability to trust his timing. So I think we should be in our Park Street location three weeks ago. God has different plans. Nobody's screwing up here. This is not like people are making mistakes and we're... God has different plans. So we wait. You know, however you approach God, if you ask for his help, you need to be ready to wait for him. Jehoshaphat's first step was to seek the Lord. His second step was to wait on him and then to, to listen to him. And then the passage... Um, goes on. Uh, the, the third thing I think we can learn from Jehoshaphat is uh, he, had, he had to trust God enough to obey him. And this is where the story continues in Second Chronicles uh, 20, verses uh, 21, 20 and 21. The story continues and it says, they rose early in the morning. So the guy gets up and says, this is what you have to do. Go out and face this battle. The battle is not yours. It's God's. God shows up and delivers the message. And then it's like, well, what are they going to do? And it says, They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for His steadfast love endures forever. So they, they sought God. They waited for His answer, which are good things. It's really impressive, I think, that Jehoshaphat seeks God. It's really, really a good deal that they wait and listen to His answer. But if the story stops there, they have no victory, right? If you hear from God and you do nothing with it, you don't get to experience what He has for you. If they didn't trust God enough to act on it, they wouldn't see victory and they wouldn't have success. There's a story in the New Testament about a young guy who came up and wanted to follow Jesus. In Mark 10, 17 to 22, we read, As Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these, have kept, all these I've kept since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And this man had the opportunity to enter into an incredible life. Had the opportunity to enter into a life following Jesus. And it's a life that changes your life now and it doesn't end when this life ends. He has that opportunity and he wants to follow Jesus, I think, sincerely. 
except when it comes to trusting Jesus enough that I can let go of my stuff. That's just too tough. Now, we're not told the rest of the story or the end of the story. Maybe he did. He, maybe at some point he's like, exactly what Jesus said. I've got to follow him. I've got to do what he said. Maybe he did that. We're not given that. All we know is that day he went away sad. All we know is that day he went away with a great deal of sorrow in his heart because what he was clinging to, he couldn't let go in order to trust God. So he held on. Sometimes, sometimes I think God puts that in front of us and says, what are you holding on to? Are you willing to let go and trust me only? Not me and, but me only. I think if we do that, then we're able to enter the incredible life. We have so much going on that comes at us, impossible odds and things that come our way every day. And if we trust Jesus only, we can enter into something. Now, honestly, sometimes the battle is inside. Sometimes the enemy is in us, right? It's not something that's happening to us. It's something that we're doing. It's uh, mistakes that we're making or people that we're hurting. The enemy is within. And we can't blame it on anybody but ourselves. We are covered in our own sin, in our own selfishness. Our, the way that we live reveals a heart that is just selfish. And I think Jesus enters into that. And he says, will you trust me only? Not will you trust me and you. Not will you trust me and your plans for your life. Not will you trust me and whatever you're clinging to. Because the result is brokenness. The result is broken relationships with God and with each other. And I think even with ourselves, we're, we have a broken relationship with ourselves. And this is what Paul is talking about, I think, when he writes in the New Testament. He says, what a wretched man I am. Like what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. And Paul cries out and he says, who will save me? Who will save me from this life that I'm living and his next statement is, thank you, God, through Jesus Christ. Thank you that I don't have to stay broken. Thank you that I don't have to, I don't have to keep living a life that's just brokenness, that you can come and bring me healing, that Karen can have 13 years where brokenness is behind her. And Jesus heals and keeps healing. Ultimately, this is what the rich young man is dealing with, what he's wrestling with. He wanted to follow Jesus, but he also wanted to go his own way. Do you ever find yourself in a situation where you ask advice, what should I do? And then you have a hard time acting on it? Somebody speaks wisdom into your life, and you're like, eh, second opinion, something that feels better. <laughs> right? That's obviously not the answer. Not what I was hoping for. I uh, don't want to apologize. I don't want to trust again. You're supposed to tell me it's okay to turn my back. Why are you telling me to lean in? We get good advice, and it's hard to follow. 
the tough part about seeking advice is it's really only powerful when we trust it enough to act on it, right? When we trust it enough to say, thank you, now let's do something with it. Jehoshaphat knew that he could seek God, that he could wait on God, but he also knew that if God said march, it's time to march. And then this is the cool part. So the fourth thing that we can see, that we can learn from Jehoshaphat, in God's word here in Second Chronicles 20, is that Jehoshaphat got to watch God show up. He got to watch God show up. In Second Chronicles 20, verses 22 um, and then beyond, it says, When they began to sing and praise, which is, uh, if you ever wonder about the power of music, if you ever wonder about the power of worship, uh, I think God has something big to say there. That worship is powerful in what it does in us and through us. It says, When they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Zir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Zir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to all the inhabitants of Zir, then they helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. And then if you skip ahead further to the end of the chapter in verse 30, it says, So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Now, depending on which side you're on, this is the fun part, right? Because Jehoshaphat and the people of God had sought God because they had waited for him, because they trusted him enough to follow through with it and march. They got to watch God show up. They got to see God do the impossible. They got to see God take care of the horde, take care of the vast army coming against them. And when they got to the battlefield, the battle's over. The battle had already been won. God had already had the victory. They found victory that day in very similar ways to the way the history books had written it for them because God had done it. God did it at the Red Sea. God did it at Jericho. God did it through the whole take the land. He had done it time and time and time again and God did it for Jehoshaphat. God is still doing it today. God is still fighting battles on our behalf. He is still bringing victory on our behalf. If we'll choose to seek Him, to wait for Him, obey Him, then we get to watch Him. And we get to see Him uh, do what He does. So go back to the story of the trust fall and uh, me being a crying baby. Uh, I, I stood up and tried to process what would happen next because we had this afternoon party planned. Like, we're going to go back, we're going to celebrate being a good team, we're going to celebrate trust that has grown and faithfulness and being able to count on each other and we got nothing. And everything in me wanted to call, like, close shop for the day and say, we'll try it again sometime, maybe. Or not. And I have this voice inside saying, Shannon, get back up there. No, 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 no. That hurt. That hurt a lot. I'm not doing that again. No, get back up. Get back up. 
Okay. But we talked for like 10 minutes. Guys, what happened? Do you recognize I weigh this much? If you can hold 15 pounds by yourself, collectively, this is a piece of cake. You could catch two of me. Okay? So we're talking through the whole process. You don't have to do this. Please don't do this. Or you guys want to try it again? Yeah. No. No, I'm not trying it again for, yeah. I want some confidence here. Okay? I want to hear that you are going to catch me. Okay, we can do that. So I got back up. I said, guys, <laughs> okay, it's taller now, right? And I, I crossed my arms across my chest and I went through the command. Spotter's ready. Spotter's ready. Falling. Fall on. And I took a deep breath and I straightened my back and I prayed. <laughs> and I fell backwards into their arms and they caught me. And then we could celebrate. We were like, Woohoo! Oh, that was good. Who's up next? And they went through. And they did it. And then we did. We had our pool party and we were able to celebrate. Like, I can't believe we did it. I know. I'm so glad you did because we're not, not going to do that again. Okay? We had so much fun that day because I was able to say, I'm getting back up. If I had not got back up that day, what would have happened? To our group. Bunch of losers. We suck. Right? You ever felt that way? What, what would have happened if Jehoshaphat had said, let's run. Let's just go the other way. Let's, I, we can't do it. This is, this is not possible. If if he had done anything but seeking God, waiting for him, trusting enough to obey him, he wouldn't get to see the victory that God had for him. I'm not going to save you from struggle, but victory is on the way. Okay? And he did. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's in front of you. But I do know if you quit, you don't get to see the victory. If you try to do it by yourself, you're probably not going to see the victory. If you decide that you want to be, that we want to be, like Jehoshaphat here, then I think we need to resolve ourselves to say whatever comes our way, we seek God, we wait for Him to show up, we trust Him, we obey Him, and we get to see what He has for us. Come what may. I think God has good stuff, good stuff planned. Will you pray with me? Father, I'm so thankful for Jehoshaphat. I'm thankful for his faith and his trust in you, his decision to seek you and wait for you and obey you. And I don't know what's going on here in this room what people are facing into. But I pray that the stuff, the impossible odds that they are up against, that they would recognize that with you, nothing's impossible. That Father, if you're there, if you're there, we're going to be okay. 
in deep water on our own, we're in deep, deep trouble. But if you're here with us, and you are, we'll be okay. Help us to trust you enough to see you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. ways that we can respond to God here at Damascus Road, and we do it on a weekly basis, is to say, I never want to forget what Jesus did for me. I never want to forget uh, the sacrifice that he made on my behalf, on our behalf, and I want to, I want to remember that, not just in a uh, make-me-feel-guilty kind of way, but in a way that says, he did it for me, and he made a sacrifice, and then he gave me new life. So, when, uh, in a moment, if you decide to come up for communion, um, the, the bread or the cracker symbolizes the life that Jesus gave up on your behalf. Your penalty that he paid. And it's a moment of reflection. And the cup, what Jesus said was the cup was a new covenant. This is life that he offers to us. His death leads to our life. There are no requirements for who can come to the communion table except this. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Do you trust him? Not Jesus and, but Jesus only. And say, I I want to live that kind of life. Jesus, I'm so thankful for what you've done for me and for what you have given me. I give my life to that. Let me remember. If you're here and you don't know who Jesus is or you're struggling with that or you have questions, uh, maybe hold back from communion today and seek those answers. Don't just take it because it's the thing to do. Take it because it's part of who you are. If you have questions, ask them. We want to be about helping you meet Jesus. Okay? Uh, Let's pray. And then when you're ready, you can come up. Jesus, thank you that that you brought us victory. And when we're stacked against the impossible odds of our own sin, you showed up. And when we couldn't do it, even in our best plans or best efforts, that you made a way for us. The gospel is all about you in who you are and how you love us and what you did for us, what you continue to do. Help us to never forget. Help us to remember your sacrifice and the life that you still offer now. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.